All right, we celebrate our country's independence this weekend. And the thought that came to my mind as I was thinking about that is, isn't it great that we're independent? Isn't it great that our country is completely independent of anything else going on in the world? We have our independence. That when there's a virus in China, it doesn't affect us at all. That when there's a war in Ukraine, it has no impact on us because we are independent. We are on our own. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound like real life to me. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful that our economy is independent of whatever happens in China or in Europe or anywhere else? The sermon title this week is The Independence Myth. I don't think it's a thing. I don't think there's such a thing as true independence at any level, at any level. So now we gained our independence from Britain, right? That's, that's truly what the celebration is. It's one level, but we've come to value this independent mentality as Americans as if it's sort of our birthright. We're a country that has its independence, that fights for it. We can make ourselves who we want ourselves to be. You can be anything you want to be in America. And uh, there's a good part of that, I guess, you know, trying to teach work ethic and to follow dreams and to fight for something when you want it. And our country gives us opportunities galore for all of that. But it's not independent. Like You can't independently seek your career and your wealth without recognizing you're completely dependent upon the business that hires you, the field that you're in, the economy of your country, the economy of the globe. You're dependent upon all those things. Dependent upon your family, your education. There's a lot of dependencies. So I was like, well, in what ways are we actually independent? And is it independence in the Bible? And I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked. I don't see it in Scripture. I don't think independence is something that God offers us. I don't think it's how he's designed the world. Everything is dependent. It's interdependent. One of the seasons are dependent upon each other. Families are very dependent upon each other. God's made the church on purpose to be dependent upon each other. If we were independent of each other and did not need each other, that would not be the church. That would not be a body, right? Our bodies, we're, we're supposed to think of our church the way we think of Christ. One person, one body, different members belonging to one another. So I think in a way, independence is like a, a non-Christian value, and maybe that's too strong of a way to look at it, but we're going to look at scriptures and I want you to sort of think about what's the difference between independence and freedom? Because we also celebrate freedom on this weekend and on 4th of July. And I see freedom in the Bible all the time. All the time. Freedom is in it from start to end. It's celebrated. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. It is for freedom that you've been set free. Therefore, do not go back. The law no longer has bondage over. You are free. Like There's freedom all over the place. But how do you have freedom if you're not independent? You're not like free to be your own man, free to be your own woman. So then what kind of freedom is it if you're still linked and dependent upon others, can't really do whatever you want, can't be whatever you want, independent of others? And so I thought I'd just like us to think about those two words next to each other, independence and freedom. Look at some scriptures, kind of wrestle with it a little bit, think about it this morning, and maybe even be willing to give up some of our independence and maybe seek for a little bit greater freedom. Because I, I think maybe the world would want us to feel more independent of others. Do what's right for you. Do what you like. Look out for yourself. That's independence, right? And it seems like freedom, but really, we probably shouldn't be left to our own devices to do whatever we want, whenever we want. That's usually not good for us. And so what we think is independence is actually sometimes bondage. 
is actually sometimes something that holds us back. I'll do whatever I want, live however I want. And now I have this lifestyle or these complications that are very much locking me down. So my independence, a striving for independence, led to bondage. Whereas actually if we're looking for freedom, we're not so worried about independence. Like if I know who I can rely upon, I feel very free to not have to be afraid of failing because we're together, right? So you feel free to try if you know that you're together and you network so closely with people that love you that even if you mess up really bad, they're going to forgive you. That gives me a lot of courage. Freedom gives courage, but it's not independence. And so I think those words can be really great in some ways and also really unhelpful in some ways. And I just want to do a little comparison and contrast. I'm going to start by reading a scripture for you that you know very well, and then we're going to look at a couple uh, together. So just listen to this one and see if it rings a bell and be thinking about freedom and independence. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's like this idyllic life, right? Nothing bad touches us. We, we are victorious in the end. But it's not independent. It's completely dependent upon the shepherd. So the sheep gets to live this like wonderful life, finding itself, oh, great grass to, to eat. No, clean water to drink. But it's because of the shepherd. And the sheep may feel independent, but really the sheep is free to just not be afraid. The sheep is free to enjoy where they are without feeling like, what happens if this grass is gone? Well, there's a shepherd that will just lead us to the next field, and that will be green grass there as well. So that, to me, is a psalm of freedom that feels like a free life. But it's not a psalm of independence. It's a psalm of complete dependence upon a shepherd. And that's who we serve. That's who we love. And so I want to look at it in terms of three different points. And these are the scriptures that we're going to read. The first one in terms of us as people being dependent upon each other. And the second one in terms of freedom versus slavery, a kind of a mastery, when something has control over us. This can be fears, this can be addictions, this can be any number of things, but that, that feeling of mastery, that's not freedom and it's not independence. If we find ourselves there, I think scripture can show us what, what that really is all about and the route to freedom. Um, and then specifically... Um, giving up our freedom and our independence to the Lord is actually a slavery to God that the Bible preaches. We want to be slaves to Him. We want to give up our control, want to give up our will, want to give up our decision-making, want to give up our agendas, like literally give it up, but in so doing, we're not gaining independence. We're gaining complete dependence, and it's freeing because we know God will carry us um, but the, the end of this, the last scripture that we'll look at really is talking about complete dependence. And I think the further we dig into that, the freer we will be. Romans 12 is where we start. We're going to go Romans, then 1 Corinthians, and then back to Romans for our three main scriptures. But Romans chapter 12. Let's read that together and think about what it means to be interdependent.
All right, verse 3, Romans 12, verse 3. Paul writes to Christians, so we're Christians. We read this as God's word to us as well. God says through Paul to the church, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each one according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If we have the gift of prophecy, let us use it in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. To the one who teaches, in his teaching. To the one who exhorts, in his exhortation. To the one who gives, in generosity. To the one who leads, with zeal. And to the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. So the key words in that is, um, verse 4, As in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5. We, though many, are one, and individually we are members one of another. And it feels like we might be able to be Christians on our own if you read the Bible, if you prayed every day, and if you tried to like, do the right thing and you had faith. But that just means that we've come up with the wrong definition of faith. If we feel like we could actually do it on our own, then we must not know what it is, because the Bible says we can't do it on our own. So what weird definition of faith have we manufactured that enables us to think it can be done independently? It's a false concept that makes us feel good about ourselves. And I don't think it's intentional, but I want to challenge that. You cannot do faith individually. The Bible, we just read it. It says you have to be part of others, and others have to be part of you. One body, many members. So if we could do all the parts of our faith on our own and feel like it works, then there must be like huge pieces of faith that we don't yet understand, or that we're not trying for yet, or we haven't had our eyes open to yet. How could it be that I could feel content praying, reading, fellowshipping, worshiping, truly being with God? Not like a false faith, but like missing a huge part. What would be missing if we were just on our own from this body metaphor? Give me some examples. What comes to mind? Fellowship. All right. What do we gain from fellowship? I think a sense of belonging. Yes. Yes, identity and belonging comes from who you're around and who you're with, fellowship, right? So we would know ourselves better if we had others around us. What else? Encouragement. Encouragement, right? Just seeing someone else, see them smile at you, it changes you. Prayer. Answered. Answered prayer. Right, right. Right. There was someone else who just started talking at the same time. Double encouragement at the same time. I guess the Holy Spirit wanted that emphasized. What else? What would be missing if we were just on our own? Teaching. Yes. Yeah. Each other's experiences. Yeah. We'd be left to say, well, this is what I think it means in the Bible, or this is my opinion. It would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think growth and flourishing as a human, because how do you compare against or contrast if you think, you know, you're, you're blind to, to your own beliefs and then when you have other people you compare and contrast you're like oh wait yeah that's the thing because we're not meant to be just one when you're with everybody else that's when you really flourish and become make you grow right 
And the opposite of that is the thing that we all hate when it starts happening in our faith. It feels like everything's boring, everything's the same, nothing's changing. All the same problems, all the same prayers, right? When it stays that, the opposite of what you said, all the good stuff, the opposite of that is like where people stop going to church and stop praying. It's like, I'm just doing the same thing forever. Well, maybe it's this piece of being part of something bigger than yourself that actually could change you. You have to see change. Otherwise, we get frustrated and disillusioned. And there's a lot of believers out there who are frustrated and disillusioned. So maybe this is an answer for some of that for them as well. Anything else come to mind while we need each other? Accountability. Yeah, I was hoping we'd get to that one. Sometimes we need someone to sit us down and be like, just knock that off. Just knock that off. That's not the way. It's not how Jesus would have you love your neighbor, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your boss. Right? A little bit of accountability. I'll build on the word church discipline. Mm-hmm. It's clear in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the accountability that we get. That's what church discipline is. It's others coming alongside. Church discipline has this kind of like concept that it's punishment-based, but it's love-based. It's the same way you, you know, put a kid on timeout or slap their hand. It's a, a discipline in order that something painful might be avoided and that something important might be learned. Like, how can we know that unless someone loves us to enough, enough to say... That's not the way. It's not what Jesus taught. So let me encourage that kind of dependence and ask you to think for yourself, how will you become more dependent on the people in our church family? Like right in this room, how can you make yourself more dependent on each other? You don't necessarily need to answer it out loud. If you have a really great thought that comes, you can. But think about that with me. Like we're, we're pretty good at being independent. And as our church changes over years, for those who have been here for a long time, or if you've been in any church for a long enough period of time, you know, over a decade, say, and people come and people go. And so you build close relationships with some, and you build like very superficial relationships with others. But the more change, the more effort's required to actually depend upon each other. Because the people that you were depending upon aren't in close fellowship on a weekly basis anymore. And so it used to be always like, go camping on this weekend, or have this cookout, or you always have this birthday party that you celebrate, or this thing that happened. And then if the names change and the people change, it's still supposed to be the body of Christ, but you don't feel as dependent upon new people whom you don't know. So actually, part of being dependent upon each other is feeling like we have to be together somehow. (laughs) What holiday do you love that we could celebrate? Can you tell me your birthday and can we have a party on it? Become dependent instead of remaining independent of each other in a way that we just come, we worship together, we love God, but then we go back to our own lives. If it's a body, we probably shouldn't all have our own independent lives. We should have like one big corporate life with lots of facets to it that we're sharing. And when things like Rita, you know, if she's not doing well, that shouldn't matter. That should be like a group problem. How can we bring encouragement? The double encouragement over here to... Grandma Rita, who needs it. But independence is easy. You could have just been praying for and and serving your mom so well as you and Sue do. Um, So maybe in that, I encourage you to feel dependent upon us in a way that, like, hey, she needs more encouragement, everybody. I need you to step up. Reliance, like call to action, those sorts of things. We need to actually push for that. It's easier to be independent than it is to be dependent. So in the body of Christ, I, I think we need to call out to others. We need to reach out to others, and it's an active sort of thing. How does it relate to our, our this passage that we just read about different people doing different things? How does this relate to 49 Maine and to being kind of like a missional church? 
how do we let everybody be who they are and encourage everybody to be who they are uniquely and yet be part of the same body or place? Yeah, what do you think? I, I think that um, your gift can be used anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God will send us to 49 Main Street. Not every one of us has a heart for the homeless the mm-hmm. way that some do. Sure. But that doesn't mean that we can't step in and use our giftedness to build up the body in mm-hmm. 49 Main Street. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a way. God's always going to give us a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because giftings can even kind of separate us. Like, oh, that's the person with this gift, and that's the person with this gift. And that's, they don't feel dependent upon someone who's doing something else. Like, just let them do their thing. But we're supposed to remain dependent upon each other, so maybe partnering with someone who it's not our gift so that they can do what they do better because they've got help. Instead of delegating. We delegate our missionaries. We delegate our pastors. They're the ones who teach. They're the ones who go overseas. We delegate our givers. I don't have a lot of income, so I can't give. Someone who has more income, they can be the generous ones. We delegate all our stuff. Um, We should be taking ownership of it. It's all of our responsibility. So how can we help? So the body actually has a very interesting level of dependence and interdependence. Uh, It would feel very freeing to be who you were designed to be. But that's not independent. You probably notice this within your families as well. Let's say in, in our family, if Michelle is going to be free to go and paint, well then hopefully there's another spouse around to help cook dinner that night and to like get kids from school if it needs be, right? Her freedom is not independent of our family, but my support to her doesn't have to be in the painting. She can go and do that. But how cool to be part of a family to feel like I could use my gifts at any time. If someone gives me a call and says, come paint a mural, go, go get them. Because she's dependent upon the rest of her family to do whatever is needed to free her up. So there's great freedom in that, but it's not independence. If she's apart from me and I don't know what she's doing, she doesn't know what I'm doing, well then that's the day that I told someone I would go and help fix a porch on the same day that she said she would go and help paint a mural on the same day Eli's going mountain biking on the same day that Piper's babysitting. And if we operate independently, we're using our gifts, but it's actually confusion and frustration when we depend on each other. And it's like, all right, Eli, I'll get you to biking while I go here. And then Michelle, if you come back now, you know, we're dependent. And then it's super... Super, uh, it's like unlimited, unlimited potential of who we could be because we have each other. We need to rely on each other. All right, let's move to the second passage. This one's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So flip just one book forward in the Bible. Again, what is scripture? It's examples that have been written down for our edification. Right? That's what it is. It's other people who have lived lives with God and then written it down. What did they experience with God? How can we learn from them? And God, as he spoke to them and they wrote it down, speaks to us. We're not just reading like ancient literature here. We're reading examples, reading stories. There's been more made recently of the power of storytelling and the importance of storytelling um, for learning, for um, reconciliation racially and other ways, um, for um, social impact. There's like lots of things. Realizing if you tell a story, if you see someone's life, that will make a greater impact than just here's five facts about that type of a situation. So God knows that best. And he's given us a Bible full of people's stories that we can read and we can identify with it and full of specific truths that we can learn from. So this is yet another example. 1 Corinthians 6. Um, 
verse... Let's go back to verse 9, and then we're going to keep going through 12, which is where this section starts. But... This point of freedom and independence is about mastery and control. Who's got control of us and what things love to take over control of us? And so it begins with a list of things that are not meant to control us. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, Paul writes, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will eventually destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he was joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's a really powerful sentence. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So if I look at this list of sins here and say, so that means that if any of us have ever been sexually immoral in any way, we can't inherit heaven. If any of us have ever stolen anything, if any of us have ever been greedy, if any of us have ever been drunk, if any of us have ever been mockers or cheated someone, well, no, it's not the instance of sin. It's the embrace and the habitual living in sin. It's the sin without regret. It's the sin without repentance. That's what they're talking about here. There's that, that ability of the Greek language to talk about something that just goes on and on and on. So if we live in these ways continually, habitually, if we embrace these things, then we're not recognizing that that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to something greater than that. And all of us have experienced some element of some or all of these things, right? Some of you were this way. Paul is writing this because people are people. So it's not about who's perfect and who's sinned and who hasn't sinned. It's about what are we striving for? And are we settling for the way the world lives? Are we striving for something more? All these things can have mastery over us. Sexual things can have such control over us, whether they're relationships we're in or pornography or all sorts of things. They just have such control over us because it taps into some parts of how God's made us. But then in the end, it's not setting us free in any way. It's piling guilt on top of guilt and it's giving us consequence in our lives that then we're trying to figure out how do we deal with these. So God wants more than that for us. 
But it isn't just sexual things. We're talking about stealing. We're talking about lying. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about all sins. It's a very broad, an intentionally broad statement. And some of us were this way. And sometimes, as we're going to see in Romans, sometimes we still act in these ways. But this is not our nature. We've been washed. We've been justified. We've been called to more. I invite us to say, what are the things that will... Yeah, the, the translation that I had here I said uh, will not be mastered by anything. What are the things that get control over us, that compel us and control us? And do we really want that? Do we want to have something feel like it can own us and direct what we think and how we feel and how we behave and how we talk? No, we don't want that. So when we recognize these things that are against God, we say, well, we technically could do anything. And that's what verse 12 is. All things are lawful. God forgives anything. You can be a murderer and be forgiven. So it's not like the sins themselves are, well, that sin got too big. Now God can't handle it. It's just, do we really want to live in such a way that we're just appealing to grace again and again and living in the way the world does? No, not all things are helpful. All things can be forgiven, if I could rephrase verse 12 that way, but not all things are good for us. All things can be forgiven, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then it goes on to food as like a great example, right? Food can be something that has mastery over us. And we said, well, do we want that to be? Is that really something that should have control over us? What's the difference? There's no difference. Paul is putting them all into a lump sum and saying, if we want real freedom, it's got to be because we recognize, first of all, that lots of things can have control over us. And we don't want to let any of those things have control over us because we've been joined together with Christ. And that's how he ends there. Don't you know you've become one with the Father? So here's where we go to our last passage. This is Romans 6, verse 19. Um, Romans is great to explain this whole concept, the whole book. I, I encourage you to, to read through the whole book of Romans if you're trying to wrestle more with freedom and independence. But this is specifically where the Bible tells us we're supposed to beg for dependence upon God. We're supposed to beg Him to become slaves to him. And I think in some ways we, we don't do a good enough job in, when we introduce people to faith of emphasizing this point. It's more sort of like be forgiven of sins. It's a benefit-based appeal to faith. Uh, there's heaven awaiting and hell avoiding, and those are true. But like, would you sell your soul to the devil? No. Would you sell your soul to God? You have to. It's the same level of Connection. Will you give up your right to yourself? Instead of being demon-possessed, will you be Holy Spirit-possessed so that you are compelled and controlled by God in moments when you least expect to do and to say something? Well, that's actually what we want. I want to be compelled and controlled by God so that at a random moment, I might be able to do something for Him by His power because it controls me. So the freedom we're getting is actually freedom from the things that destroy, from the things that enslave, from the things that will compel us into wickedness, but we actually want to become slaves to God so that we no longer have any choice but to do that thing that we know is pleasing to Him, or do that thing we know will bless someone, or will be a response to His grace and His mercy to us. So let's start in verse 12, and we'll go to the uh, end of chapter 6. So Romans 6, 12. 
Again, we're just thinking about independence, thinking about freedom and what it means for us. Romans 6.12 Therefore, do not let sin reign. So there's a ruler kind of statement. Who's in charge? Who's in control? Who's reigning? A king. Don't let sin reign in your bodies to make you obey their passions. These are cravings. These are impulses. These are addictions. Our bodies can run the show. They can. But we're not supposed to let that happen. Not only don't let it happen in verse 12, do not offer yourself to sin. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And all of the parts of your body, how you think, how you see, how you taste, what you touch, how you do, everything. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion. It's got no authority. It has no control. It cannot own you. Since you are not under the law, now you are under grace. Alright, so we're under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law? It's like a free... Get out of jail card, uh, a free pass. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Like, no, absolutely not. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, so this is a worldly kind of actual slave metaphor here, if you make yourself a slave to someone, you are slaves then to the one whom you obey. This applies to sin, which leads to death, it also applies to obedience. So the opposite of sin is obedience. And the end of sin is death. But obedience leads to righteousness, to the good that we all want. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free, freedom from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. A slave to what is right. Morally compelled. Holy Spirit compelled. Conscience compelled to do what's right, even at cost to ourselves. This is martyrdom, right? At the fullest extent. I'd be willing, I have to do this right thing, even if someone kills me for it. It's a slavery to it. It's not an option. It's ownership, but here it's presenting an either-or. You get to pick your master, but we will be slaves to something. So, so it is slavery to God. It's not independence at all. Verse 18 again. Having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms, Paul says, because of our natural limitations. Now, just as you once presented your bodies as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness, now present your body as slaves to righteousness, which leads to greater righteousness. That's what sanctification is. Like more good or more bad. It's like whoever your master is going to spiral in one direction or they want to spiral in a good direction to greater and greater good. Verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. I think that's an interesting thing. Someone who's completely given over to a sinful lifestyle is actually free from the right, free from the good. They're free to be as bad as they want. There's no, like, tug on them, right? The Bible says our consciences get seared after a while, like a hot iron. You just can't feel anymore. So you can believe free to be as bad as you want. It literally does not matter. And your heart and your mind and your conscience is just not bothering you. But eventually there has to be some moment of recognition because it leads to greater and greater bad we want the exact same freedom, but in the opposite way. I want to be free from being pulled in a direction that's going to wreck me, wreck my family, wreck our church, wreck the world, wreck God's good name. I want to be free from that, free to actually be greater and greater in righteousness because we're being compelled by God. 
So verse 20 again. When you were slaves of sin, you were actually free from righteousness. You had freedom from it. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things that you are now ashamed of. That's like end of life reality check question. Okay, you were free to do whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. What did you get from it in the end? Broken and regret. <laughs> Probably some combination of those in large measure. A lot of hurt people along the way. Because whenever we do what we want, it's going to negatively impact others. Because what we want better for us is going to be worse for someone else. And so it's the opposite of grace. All right, so just reflect. Where does that go? The end of those things is death. Verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to greater and greater righteousness, sanctification. And the end of that is eternal life. What you earn from sin, the wages, what you get, what you deserve, is death. But this free gift that we do not deserve, that we do not earn, but we're being offered, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this concept of slavery, we actually want to become really dependent upon God. Our problems are when we don't feel as dependent upon God as we should. We feel free to make a decision just because it seemed like it was a good one. Made our pros and cons list. We feel free. We feel independent of God. He blesses us. He takes care of us. That's when we find ourselves in trouble. But if we know we're completely dependent upon God and we're searching for him, God, we need you to make this decision. We need you to know what's right. Please. Well, then that utter dependence gives us freedom to feel like, well, then you can't fail. There's no failing with God. There's ups and downs. But he's got us. This is him, not us. We need complete dependence upon him. Would we pray that God would control your desires, control your will, control your ambitions, control your goals. That would be a great prayer. God, make me a slave to your thoughts in my job. How do we become greater and greater dependent upon our spouse? You know, a lot of people do marriage in different ways, but when I see spouses that have, you know, separate bank accounts for their whole lives and just handle their money differently, I think, well, you're not really dependent upon each other. And then it's like, well, why didn't you do what you were responsible for? I'm taking care of things here. Instead of, well, we're together in this. I've got you. Well, what do you need? We have what we need. So it's a little example, and there's probably lots of varieties in the way you yourselves handle your money and your families. But... That's an example. You can have a marriage where it's still just two independent people that, you know, can't use the phrase roommates. You're roommates at that point. You're not two become one. You live parallel lives and happen to live in the same house. You know, when there's friction in a marriage and there's problems and there's no intimacy, and you're just like two people that happen to live in the same house, maybe don't even sleep in the same bed, but you're there. You maybe have a meal together once in a while. Like, what? How can we become more dependent? Because it's possible to live side by side with people and not actually be dependent upon them. We're doing our own thing. We had a couple of days away with our, our family up in New Hampshire these past few days. And um, there were times where we were driving and so everybody's listening to music or on their phone or doing whatever, watching a show, doing their own thing. And then there are other times like, all right, put all that stuff away because we want to be together. So being within an eight-foot proximity did not necessarily mean we were together. You'd have six humans in entirely different worlds, all within touchable reach of each other. And that's fine at times, but other times, like, we want to be here in this moment together. I want to depend on each other for what happens at this beach, whether we enjoy ourselves or whether we don't, whether the sandcastle survives the waves or whether it doesn't. You know, like, we're, we're in this together. So 
How can we help our children to be dependent? How can we feel dependent upon our family? How, how can we foster that rather than independence within our family, within church, within our faith? Jesus put it this way, and this is one of the last thoughts I'll, I'll leave us with today. The Jews answered Jesus. This is from John. We read this in the gospel just a few months ago. The Jews answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The root to freedom is confession and repentance. That's it. That usually happens for each of us once in a really big way with God. We have this moment of clarity, turn around, God, please forgive me. You know, salvation kind of like hits us like a train. And it's just boom, something's different. But if we're not careful, the sins that we commit from that point forward will sort of like add up and cling to us and be these unresolved things that need to be worked through. But it's still the same recipe for freedom. That freedom that we felt when we first believed was like a blank check, a blank slate for all of everything that had come before. We need to practice entering into freedom on a daily basis. That's this whole sanctification, the things that lead to greater and greater, the more and the more. Because it's very possible to believe in God and to not feel free at all. It's very possible to be part of a church and to be isolated and lonely. It's very possible to be in a marriage and still be independent, living your own life. It's very possible to be all these things, but they're not freeing. Lonely is not free. Ask someone who's very lonely. Ask a single person who's praying for that other person if they feel lots of freedom in their loneliness and singleness. There is a singleness that's beautiful and content, but when you find the person that's lonely, loneliness is not free. Right? Ask a person who has a struggle with a certain addiction. Do they feel free? Like, no. But each and every day, we get the privilege of coming back to God and saying, these are the things on my plate. These are the things I need you to take off my plate like once again this day. I need to be set free again today from loneliness. I need to be set free again today from fear. I need to be set free again today from addiction because I'm only and always completely dependent upon you. I cannot do today on my own. And we get to the end of the day and we look back and we can just measure it. <laughs> Independence or freedom. And they're going to go like this. I did it my way and it was a mess. Or God set me free and it was beautiful and he carried me through it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So I encourage us to pray for freedom every single day. And in those little areas that feel like they're nagging or they're lingering or they're clinging, those are things that need to be taken back to God to find freedom in. It's not good to leave those things unresolved. It's not good to live an entire Christian life and say, well, I'm not really free from these things, but I love God. That's not the freedom that he calls us to. We should be pursuing and praying for freedom all the time. The, the freedom in Christ ministry, really all that is, you probably saw that sign out there for 
few years, um, all it is is just reminding people God doesn't want us to be mastered by anything. He wants us to feel free, completely and utterly free, and completely and utterly dependent upon Him. So I'm going to give us just a moment to think. We're going to move to communion and a closing song. This is our dependence, right? We have communion at the end, and we've been talking about how it becomes, since it's at the end of the service, sort of like a response of everything we've talked about, everything we've sung about, leads us to this. This is our response to all that we've heard, whatever God is saying to you. What a wonderful example of dependence. Jesus died depending upon God to raise him again. Do we have that level of dependence? Right? Jesus was so free that nothing anyone said could change his mind, ruin God's plan, knock him off track. We want that level of freedom and that level of dependence. And communion, the Lord's Supper, is a beautiful example of both dependence and freedom. And um, so I want to give us a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And maybe, Mickey, you could lead us in a closing song. And uh, we'll take communion together, celebrating our dependence and our freedom. But let's just take a moment and think about the things that God's put on our heart. Father, we offer you this moment of silence as an opportunity for your Holy Spirit to uh, convict us of the things that are becoming our masters, um, to be willing to put everything to the side that you might be our master, and to willingly offer ourselves to you to be enslaved by you for righteousness' sake and for your sake. Please help us not to be independent. Please make us more and more dependent Uh, Take us down a peg if we are feeling too independent so that we might realize the depths of our dependence upon you for every breath and every decision and every joy. And please fill us with your spirit to lead us forward. Please speak to us now in this time, Father.